The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to this episode of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Welcome, Father. Well, thank you, Tom. Tonight we will discuss the traditional Catholic Church's viewpoint on the rather controversial topic of marijuana. Now, Father, there are multiple arguments which are employed in support of uh, usage of marijuana as a recreational psychoactive drug. And I would like for you to answer uh, a couple of the, the more prominent ones there. But before we get into that, I would like to ask, does the Catholic Church have any definite teachings on, on the subject of, of marijuana? Um, for example, has she ever said explicitly that marijuana is, is never permissible to use. It's, it's immoral for an individual to use this as a recreational psychoactive drug. Has she ever said that it's permissible in some cases with some restrictions, or has she simply remained silent on this matter? Well, uh, to my knowledge, the Church Universal has never pronounced on marijuana in particular, but the Church does have a long-standing moral teaching on the use of narcotics, drugs, whatever you want to call them. So uh, that would certainly apply to marijuana today. And the, the principles that the Church gives us, uh, principles that the Church gives us can be applied and must be applied when it comes to the matter of using marijuana, using or abusing it. Uh, because most of what we're discussing here is, I guess, it involves abusing it, right? Um, so yes, the church does have teaching about the abuse of marijuana, if not uh, by name, uh, certainly uh, in her moral principles, she does. Okay, and what exactly is that teaching? You mentioned the abuse and the, the proper usage. What is the proper usage of marijuana in the church's view? Well, not only marijuana, but as I say, just narcotics right. in general. You know, we should talk about marijuana in particular, though, because it has a certain character of its own. You're right about. It. Uh, that uh, we need to, to talk about how it applies, how the principle applies to marijuana, right? Right. But um, the Church says that narcotics are not intrinsically evil, which means that they can't be used for the sake of proportion, uh, avoiding a proportionately greater evil or securing some kind of proportionally uh, great good. Um, so, um, you know, you talk about everything from, uh, I guess, what they call the hard drugs like heroin and uh, cocaine and so on, even down to just taking sleeping pills for the sake of affecting the workings of the brain, right? And um, the, the moods and perceptions that people have. Um, these chemicals do have an effect on the brain. And... Um, they can be very destructive, um, but again, there can be circumstances which would justify their use. Now, ordinarily, um, 
the use of these drugs or narcotics, uh, the use of these things for the sake of just the effect uh, that they cause on the brain would be mortally sinful. Um, if it if it actually impairs the use of reason and, and takes one out of contact with reality, okay. Um, um, but um, the, um, the there can be a, you know justification. Somebody who, for example, just takes sleeping pills uh, for the sake of sleeping them because he likes the effect that you know they have would not necessarily be placing himself in great danger. Uh, directly and immediately, but somebody who becomes addicted to them would be putting himself in, in, in the risk of serious harm, because any addiction like that is, is considered to be a serious matter. But also, I mean, uh, in terms of driving and operating machinery and so on, these things do have an impact which could uh, have a secondary impact that which would cause put in great danger. So one has to weigh the, the, the damage and the risk of damage that there is in using and abusing these things. Somebody who needs sleep is uh, sleep deprived and is having a very hard time sleeping for whatever reason. If he finds a, uh, a, a product on the market that is available that helps him to sleep, whether it be something natural <coughs> or something that would induce sleep, uh, could could use it in moderation for the sake of the end for which he's taking it, and that is to be able to sleep and get the benefit of sleep. He would have perhaps a good reason and justification of a proportionate good to be secured by using it. But uh, generally speaking, somebody who takes something just for the sake of the immediate effect it, uh, it has on the brain would be abusing that, unless there is some evil he's trying to avert or some good that he's trying to obtain, whatever it might be. Um, with the harder drugs, um, I mean, the more serious the drug and the more serious its side effects, the more, uh, uh, if I should say, the, the more pronounced the effect it has on the brain, the more serious the reason has to be to justify using it. You know? um, so this raises the question of so-called medical marijuana use and so on and so forth. With regard to, to marijuana as it is produced today, though, uh, and by the way, I don't, I don't mean to give the impression that I even consider myself an expert in the subject. I've just read articles about it because I find it interesting, some clinical studies and, um, and keeping up with it because people do ask questions like this. And one thing is very clear, that the marijuana that is being produced now is extremely potent. That the, the, the potency of this, uh, the cannabis, is, has a very um, pronounced effect on the brain. The receptors in the brain that, that are affected by the, um, these active ingredients you know, marijuana, <laughs> um, are, are very uh, readily affected and uh, profoundly affected by the modern marijuana. So it's not the same drug necessarily in terms of its effect as it might have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's becoming much more potent. And um, <clears throat> so again, the effect is much more pronounced and the reason for using it 
to, to justify it would have to be that much more serious. You, um, you find that uh, also uh, studies, rather long-term studies have shown um, right along uh, throughout the history of uh, recent history of marijuana use and abuse that marijuana has been known or at least uh, tagged by the med medical experts as being responsible for some very serious pathologies. Certain types of cancers are, are just re somehow uh, related to marijuana use, right? Um, certain tumors of the brain. And um, I remember uh, a study that was done, oh my goodness, must be 15, 20 years ago now, that was actually examining the effect of heavy marijuana uh, uh, inhalation by rhesus monkeys in the laboratory. And the finding that uh, the cell structure of the offspring of the rhesus monkeys who were subjected to day after day to, you know, an atmosphere rich in marijuana smoke, uh, even the cell structure of the, of the offspring had uh, noticeable differences from the control group, as though it, it affected even the... Um, the, the generation that was conceived and born of those who were subjected heavily to marijuana. Uh, this is very serious business, you know, when you start, start having effects like that that are show up on the cellular level of the offspring. Uh, it's been known to affect uh, short-term memory very adversely when it's heavily used. Um, there are also even more recent studies though, that, that give a, basically a, a catalog of effects now, uh, deleterious effects on the, uh, on the brain itself for those who use it on a, uh, use marijuana on a regular basis and uh, heavy use of it. Now, you know, one has to be careful about that because what affects one person um, um, uh, well, you know, affect another in a very different way. Um, the amount of use to produce an effect in one person uh, is not the same as the amount of effect that is necessary to produce the same effect in another person. Uh, so when we say heavy use, you know, you ask, well, what does that mean? Um, and the answer is, I really don't know. <laughs> but uh, um, in the clinical studies on the subject, they do, they do map all that out and tell you exactly what they're talking about when they're talking about heavy use. But they also do acknowledge that it varies from person to person as exactly how severe the, the effects are going to be. Yeah. One thing they have noticed is that with uh, marijuana use in the states that have legalized it for recreational purposes, okay? And I'll, I, there's something I have to mention about that, if sure. you want. Uh, in a minute, I'll try to hold that thought. Um, and uh, if I have any impaired short-term memory, it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> That's what Mary Holly is Take your word for it, uh, Please. Uh, um, that they notice that uh, traffic accidents have, have gone up dramatically. Is there an explanation for this? Well, a possible explanation is that marijuana seems to reduce the anxiety levels of those who use it. I guess that's one of the chief 
benefits of it, why people use it, because it makes them very mellow and relaxed, right? Well, if you're driving and you need to be on alert and you need to react to oncoming traffic, right, and assess danger levels by pulling into traffic and so on, one could see that marijuana could suppress those natural warning mechanisms of the brain, like the amygdala and other parts of the brain that are involved in warning you when there is danger, right, that appeals to your sense of your reason and the cerebral cortex to say, don't do that because there's danger here. If you suppress that, it is not a stretch to see that people will begin taking chances that they wouldn't do otherwise. And if people are being involved in, uh, in accidents now, which may be fender benders or any, and all the way up to lethal accidents, uh, one can see a, a, a logical connection between the use of marijuana and the practical results on the highway and how it affects people's driving. Right. <clears throat> but when they talk about medical marijuana, they're generally talking about uh, something that, with the cannabis that has been removed in whole or in part, and if they can even take it apart wholly, removed wholly, so that it doesn't have the psycho effects that regular marijuana would have, certainly not the recreational marijuana they're selling, because the recreational marijuana is being sold and used precisely for the sake of the effects on the brain. Now, if they take in medical marijuana, they take those effects away. This takes the allure away, and the purpose in using it is for the sake of somehow treating the illness or reducing the pain and discomfort of cancers or whatever else. Um, now, recent studies have shown that uh, they don't see the connection between the relief of certain diseases, for which you know they're told marijuana. Medical marijuana is, 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 is recommended. Uh, they don't see that, you know, the medical correlation between the use of the medical marijuana and the actual relief supposedly experienced by it. I don't know. I don't understand necessarily all of the uh, metabolism involved. But the the fact is, uh, medical marijuana goes is to gun subjected to a process that takes away the psych, psycho psychological effects, as it were. Uh, which, if if it did help to uh, uh, alleviate the symptoms of a serious illness, uh, would mean that it could be used certainly safely. We think. But it also takes away the allure that people have for using it if they just really want to use it for the sake of the mental effects, the psychological effects of it. Right. So, um, again, sometimes people say, well, you know, I mean, look at alcohol. Alcohol is a drug. You take it, people drink it, for this, and they, they get tipsy and they get drunk. And so what's the difference between that and marijuana? or any other drug, and the answer is very simple and very obvious, that somebody can take a drink without, without any intention of affecting his mind. I mean, people don't necessarily drink alcohol because of the mental effects that it has, you know. Um, but people take marijuana for the, precisely because of the effects that it has. Uh, or any other drug, I mean, heroin, cocaine, and so on and so forth, they're taking that precisely to affect their brain and their brain function. 
That's not the case with somebody necessarily who just is a social drinker and has one or two uh, one or two drinks and puts it away. <clears throat> now you get somebody else. Remember the old movies? I need a drink. I need a drink. Well, when you hear somebody saying that, I need a drink. I need a drink. You need a drink because of something that's happening to you and you can't can't handle it without a drink. You're basically telling everybody, I have to medicate myself with this because I can't handle this. Well, when somebody says, I need a drink, we've got problems. Because if somebody really needs a drink to get through the day, they're in trouble. Okay, They are obviously drinking for the sake of um, affecting brain function, their moods, and so on. Now it's getting to the level of using it as a drug, and that's, that's wrong. Right. Wrong to drug oneself for no reason. We have the uh, the snowflakes and the college campuses, you know, who who can't function in normal society dealing with normal issues, right? Uh, they're so uh, psychologically fragile. Okay, and I, I think of this entire generation that is being raised to need a drink or to need marijuana or to be dependent upon something just to get through the day and um, um, it's it is evil to um, cultivate a generation that has these dependencies and they cannot deal with reality and they have to subject themselves mentally to some sort of a suppressant in order to 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 deal with just breathing and having a pulse to to survive the day it's it's a very evil thing. So we see in this not only the immediate question of the effects on the brain and the mood of an individual, we see an entire society being affected by this, and it can be extremely damaging. Right. Father, you, you talked about this idea of a proportionate good or, or proportionate evil um, in, in regards to usage of marijuana. Would the would the the pleasure that someone derives from this would that not be a sufficient good? Because um, that that seems uh, something similar to to the usage of alcohol, like you talked about. I believe it even says in sacred scripture that that God gave wine to cheer the hearts of man. Um, mm-hmm. Could something similar not be said for the the usage of, of marijuana? And uh, it seems like that idea of a proportionate good or, or a proportionate evil that seems like a very rational argument. For, for medical marijuana, and I don't believe you would find too many objections there. But it- I don't think you'd find too many objections in Catholic moral principles against medical marijuana right. as, as I understand it either. Right. But as far as these, these negative effects on, on the body, on the brain, and these long-term effects and all these damages that, that you mentioned, it seems that for every study that you quote, Proponents of medical, uh, proponents of recreational marijuana usage will quote another study that shows the health benefits of, of, of smoking marijuana, and it, it seems like that their retort will will typically be that yes, all these negative effects can occur, but that comes from abusing the drug, and there is a certain way to go about it to use it properly, and you can actually derive great health benefits from that. And you mentioned all of these negative effects that it can have on the body and that that can make the use of the drug sinful. But what is, what's the threshold for that? How do we ever determine that, because as you mentioned, this drug, maybe it wasn't as potent in years past, but now it's become more and more potent. Where, where do we draw the line and how, how, do we, how are we able to distinguish, okay, at this point, this drug is now potent enough to where it's a sin to use it? 
Okay. Well, I think uh, one thing you said is very important, Tom, that there are proponents of the use of the drug for medical marijuana or uh, recreational right. marijuana. And when you talk about proponents, you're talking about a certain bias. You're talking about people who are trying to um, make a case. Sure. And as you know, I mean, you always have to be wary of those who set out to make a case because of the way they selectively choose the information. Okay? So when we're talking about those proponents of the use, uh, legalized use of, of uh, recreational marijuana, uh, we always have to be wary of the studies they choose and what value they have. When we're talking about medical studies that are trying to assess an actual medical effect or measurable effect on people, we're not necessarily dealing with people who are starting out with a preconceived goal mm -hmm. of saying, I'm going to prove this or I'm going to, I'm going to disprove that. Sure. Uh, so again, there's, I, I see no correlation between or no equivalence between the studies that, such as they are that are put forth by those who have a, a bias and a, an agenda and those of normal medical research, you know. Now, it could be those who are involved in normal medical research. It could be that they also have an agenda. It could be that we, we, we want to prove that this is evil. We want to prove that this is damaging. We want to discourage people from using it. And we're going to do everything we can to bias the results in such a way that we're, we're making a case against the approval of this. But I don't know that there is really evidence to show that. The people who are proposed proponents of it are very clear about it. Uh, they have organizations that have names, you know, they, they want the legalization, pro-legalization, they want the rights to sell it, they want to get rich from it. I mean, there are a lot of, we had a situation in Ohio with that not long ago. People who stood to make millions of dollars of profits, uh, they were all in favor of it, and pushing hard in the media and all the rest to convince people it was a good idea. Fortunately, the people in Ohio saw right through that and said, this is just uh, uh, manipulation, you know, uh, for people's profit. They didn't go along with it. Um, but on the other hand, those who have produced medical studies, um, uh, I don't know that anybody has actually made any credible, credible case that they have been biased against, started out with a bias against medical, uh, recreational marijuana. Um, I don't know anybody, um, that doesn't mean there is anyone, but I don't know anybody who's been charged uh, and uh, found guilty of uh, seeking from the outset to defame marijuana and show how bad it is just for the sake of uh, uh, furthering some kind of political cause of their own. So I, I don't see the equivalence, you know, of this... Uh, this um, uh, what should I say, political manipulation to actual medical studies. Here. But uh, unfortunately, I'd have to say that I've known people who have been very severely injured by marijuana. I also know of people who claim that they have used it in moderation, that they can stop any time they feel like it, they can start any time they feel like it, they don't get addicted to it in any way. However, however, um, my own personal judgment of the matter <coughs> is that they are in danger. We're talking about marijuana as being kind of a gateway drug to other things. When the effect they're seeking in marijuana is no longer adequate for them, where do they go from there?
Um, and that's a serious question. And there are, again, studies that um, claim to answer the question, or at least give an indication of the answer that marijuana in certain cases, perhaps in many, I don't know what they meant by many, does lead to seeking an effect on the brain that goes beyond marijuana use to other drugs. Uh, I would imagine, again, I haven't touched this myself, but we have an enormous heroin problem here across the country, but right here in Ohio, right here in the Cincinnati area, Hamilton County. Uh, I think in one week, 40-some people died of heroin overdoses uh, not long ago. And I would be very interested, more than interested, to know how many of those began as youngsters smoking marijuana. And I would bet, I would bet that every one of those cases involved a person who started with marijuana and moved up. Okay? Now, is that a, a cause-effect relationship? I don't know. But it greases the wheels, I believe. Because these people are seeking uh, to have a, a psychological effect on their brain. They're seeking something to give them that uh, whatever it is they experience. You know, I don't know what it is. I have no idea Okay, what it is. But um, I know that... Um, um, you know, there are definitely serious medical studies that show that this is very dangerous business. Those who say, oh, I can use it, I can use it in moderation, I would say it sounds rather presumptuous to me. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe you can give, use it for six months, give it up for a month, not even miss it, and then resume again later on. I'll tell you this, though. Um, you don't know what effect it's having on you because these effects show up only in time. And the person who uh, is using it might not be the first to notice. I mean, maybe the people around him notice even before he does. This is having an effect on me, which is not good. Um, the other question is, yes, one might be able to give up marijuana for a month at a time or six months at a time and then resume later as he wishes and then give it up again repeatedly if he wants. Um, it might help him get through the rough spots in life, you know, uh, whatever change of job or uh, whatever relocation. Or, but um, if one is reaching for a crutch like that, this is not a good sign. Like someone reaching for alcohol. If someone is reaching for alcohol to deal with a difficult time in life, you'd say that person is at risk. Okay. The um, <clears throat> Another aspect of the whole thing is this. Um, does that show something in the character of the person where the person has a, a proclivity toward needing something to get him through the day? And so he might, it might be marijuana today. He might reach for other things, even sins. Even, even sins that give one physical pleasure and, and mental satisfaction and release does one who uses this marijuana, for example, for this effect, uh, even though he's not using marijuana, does he have, let's say, a weakness for impure sense and for the effect of the endomorphins on the brain, you know? And when he's not using this, is he supplying something else involving something pleasurable for him that he reaches for to get through, uh, to release the tensions of the day, and is that not also evil 
And the answer, I would say, is yes. And I would say, not everyone, but I would say there are probably some who do. Say, okay, I give up marijuana, and if I were to ask him, but do you find that when you give up the marijuana, you're supplying something else in its place? I wouldn't be surprised if many would say, well, as a matter of fact, these sins that I commit do kind of spike during that time. So I'm just kind of offsetting it with something else. On top of that, okay, do you use marijuana alone? Okay, you who are not really controlled by this marijuana use, okay, who can turn it on, turn it off, take it, use it, uh, put it away, not use it for a while. When you do use it, are you actually involving other people? How many people actually go off by themselves and just smoke a joint of marijuana? Um, I don't know. I haven't counted them. <laughs> but I will tell you this, that um, when, when I hear of people using it, I hear of them using it with friends. Right. It seems to be a social thing. Sitting around at parties or wherever they happen to be, and there, somebody brings out the marijuana, they pass it around, they pass around the, uh, the joint or whatever they call it. <laughs> it's a social thing. They're involving other people. And they're encouraging other people to use it. So this one person might say, well, it doesn't affect me. I mean, yeah, I get a little happy because of it. It makes me feel rather mellow and I enjoy its effects. But I'm not dependent on it. I can put it away. But wait a minute. I have uh, three or four, half a dozen friends whom I'm passing this around with. I'm encouraging some of them are younger. I'm encouraging this in them. What am I doing to them? Um... Can I can I do that? I mean, if I'm a drinker, okay, it's legitimate for me as a 20-year-old, well, maybe 21, 22, 23-year-old, but am I providing for a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old too? Uh, and am I passing it around with them and I'm encouraging them to do that? Well, how do I know what it's going to take them? What effect is going to have on them? I had better be very careful because I can be doing something that's really devastating and encouraging something devastating. So you see, there are consequences that go far beyond the individual that affects not only the other individuals in their immediate circle, social circle, but the example it sets um, for those, unfortunately, often younger, and even for their peer group in encouraging them to use it and tell them, hey, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with this. And then you find out, well, for those in the group, maybe it wasn't really all that good for everybody. Maybe that turned into serious problems. And again, I'm just going on a hunch from the basis of what I've heard over the years, that of those who have these circles of marijuana smokers, they may be very fluid and going from one to another. But I, I would bet if they did some follow-up over the years, they'd find out that, yeah, that there were people in that group. And maybe some of the younger people who went on to have some serious problems. Right. And I would want them to th- say, maybe I have a certain responsibility for this because I encourage them rather than discourage them. I encourage them to right. do this. And uh, that's a very serious matter. But then you get the effect of the whole of society, too, and it's not, a, it's not a good thing. Those marijuana drug profits are going in the wrong pockets and they're doing a lot of damage. Sure. And Father, to clarify, it seems that, <coughs> that you're saying the recreational usage of marijuana is not a good thing because of, of the, the multiple negative effects that, that you've mentioned. But as far well, the effects on the individual, the effects on right. the immediate circles, right. and the effects on the whole society are very damaged. Right. But as far as the moral order, mm-hmm. can we say that it is objectively a sin for someone to smoke marijuana? 
Well, as you know, can one if if one had a serious disease and was dying of cancer <clears throat> recreationally, <clears throat> I and, and even using that uh, for medical purposes, even with the cannabis in it, <clears throat> it could be it could be such that it it could be morally justified even to use that. Sure. I'm not talking about just medical marijuana. <clears throat> with the cannabis removed, what I understand happens. I'm, I'm sure there those who could give you a much better, sure. you know, biochemist chemical yeah. response <laughs> and explanation than that. But um, I mean, if it's permissible to use morphine um, and all of the other, you know. Um, Vancomycin, and, oh, well, that's not, that's an antibiotic. Vicodin? Vicodin, things like that, yes, thank you. If it's permissible to use these things, even to, um, um, you know, anesthetize somebody uh, because they're undergoing an operation and you want to make them not feel pain, right? <clears throat> it could be also theoretically possible that it would be moral to use the marijuana with the uh, cannabis in, <clears throat> in it because of the relief of pain and suffering, it could be justifiable. Um, so, um, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's intrinsically evil. The Church does not say these things are intrinsically evil. There can be situations which are severe enough that in individual cases, uh, there is a proportionate good to be obtained or a proportionate evil to be avoided. But what about just recreation? Just but recreation? for recreational purposes, just for the sake of uh, enjoying uh, altering my mood in my mind, not necessarily. You make a good point, though. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get back to this anyway, and I'm sure. glad you brought it up again. That, that the wine might rejoice the heart of men, right? The hearts of men. Uh, that indicates from sacred scripture right, that God has given us to enjoy this, right? And uh, the implication is to, you know, have an effect on our moods, okay? But that's not talking about uh, actually getting someone drunk because it's one thing to help one, you know, relax, okay? And some people use the alcohol to relax. It's another thing to get to the point where they have, don't have the use of reason. Okay? That would be a mortal sin. That is out and out drunkenness. Um, so, again, if there is a proportionate reason to do it, uh, it can't be justified. Um, you, you put all of this together, though, uh, with regard to marijuana, and... Uh, you, you take it together as far as the state of the knowledge about marijuana is right now. And you see the potential harm to the individual. And you see the potential harm to the circle of friends that could suffer from the example. You see the harm to society also in terms of uh, people sort of dropping out and uh, the consequences of this and the muddies that are going to what purpose you realize there would have to be a very serious reason to justify this it's not just a matter of saying well I think I'll uh, you know use the marijuana cigarette and I don't know what they call it getting high I don't know what they, they refer to it as because again I don't know what the effect is there has to be a proportionate reason for it okay. and the damage here <clears throat> 
parallel case, Tom. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if you're a smoker. I'm not. <laughs> I think if you were, then Hannah would not uh, would have put an end to that, right? Now, right? Probably. And around the little ones, you would not do that. Sure. You would not subject them to that, right? right. Um, which is wonderful, you know. Uh, I didn't think you were a tobacco smoker, okay. But, you know, people ask, well, at what point uh, does smoking tobacco become sinful? At what point does it pass from being just a recreational way of coping, you know, and just something I enjoy doing, to being venially sinful? and then cross the line into being mortally sinful. Is there a dotted line? Is there a gray line, a squiggly line, or what is there, you know? And the answer is, well, again, you know, you have to weigh all of the moral factors involved. The principle would be the moment it, it puts you at serious risk of serious physical harm, contracting lung cancers or whatever else, then you would be guilty of mortal sin for, you know, ingesting that much into your lungs and letting it get into your system and, and inducing, putting yourself at that risk. And not only yourself, but for those who depend upon you too, you know, like a father of family or, or uh, someone like that, you know, they, people need him, right? The mother of family, people need her. So she's not only putting herself at risk, but she's putting others at risk to need her to be there and healthy. So it's very hard or impossible to sit here and say, well, precisely smoking two and, you know, seven eighths of a, of a pack of cigarettes a day means that you're, if you smoke over that, you're committing a moral sin. Okay. Anything less than that is a venial sin. And, um, I mean, you can't do that, right? It's impossible to do right. that. But uh, you, you actually have to look at the state of the knowledge of the consequences um, and come up with kind of a ballpark figure and, um, you know, just give it to people. What I have seen, give them the, the best answer you can. You sure. know? Uh, if somebody were to ask me, you know, is it a sin to use uh, marijuana just for the sake of uh, the effects of marijuana? And I enjoy it, and so I would say yes, it is a sin to do that. If they were to say, well, uh, how serious is a sin? I would say it, it depends on how serious the damage is done or how serious the risk is. Um, I would say in one case that if it's illegal, Okay, you're breaking the law. There's already something wrong with that. Okay, and setting a precedent, precedent of being completely uh, just flouting the law. Uh, there's already damage being done in that. But even if the legalization uh, uh, were affected in like a state like Colorado or someplace else, then you'd have to look at the uh, beyond the legal question to the moral question. And from what I've seen, uh, there are serious moral consequences too. True. So, um, uh, I would say to somebody who just wants to use it recreationally because they enjoy the feeling that marijuana induces them, I would say that is not a proportionate reason.
to um, indulge in this with all of the risks involved, that is not a proportionate reason. Mm -hmm. And um, it might be a venial sin for you personally, um, uh, but it could be a mortal sin in terms of the example you set. Um, and uh, it, could, it could actually be uh, contributing to a very serious problem in not only among your friends, but in terms of your whole, the whole society. Uh, I personally, I, you know, I, I keep coming back to this, uh, the studies that they've done, well, notably in Colorado, with regards to accidents on the road. And I can't help but see a correlation between the, the mellow drivers on, on marijuana and the, the increase in auto accidents. And again, I say that if one um, is operating machinery and has a dull sense of the dangers inherent in operating, in operating machinery, uh, that uh, this is inducing in a person a certain danger mm -hmm. that otherwise would not be there. <clears throat> um, but I'll say it's not just a matter of putting oneself at risk, it's putting others at risk too. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a very serious thing. Uh, you know, when you have uh, someone also close, uh, not a relative or anything like that, but when you have someone you've known um, who dies of uh, cancers, and, the, and they go in and they're diagnosed, and the, the doctor asks, how long have you been using marijuana and how much you've been smoking? And, uh, you know, they're asked, well, how, do you, how did you know that? And the doctor says, well, this type of uh, carcinoma is, is associated with the use of marijuana. Uh, then you realize this is not child's play. This is serious business here. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are serious moral questions involved here. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I tell people that, that it, it is not equivalent to taking a, a drink of alcohol mm -hmm. uh, socially. Um, that uh, there are people who don't go to, uh, you know, mix, mix themselves a drink because they, they need a drink and because they're drinking it because of the effect it has on them. Mm -hmm. Necessarily thinking about that. Right? Um, but when people smoke marijuana, that's exactly what they're looking for. There's a difference in my mind. Yeah. Sure. And Father, it seems like you, you've already, you've touched on this just a bit, but perhaps if you could just directly address this question of th this argument of what is perhaps the leading uh, the most common argument that we hear used uh, concerning the usage of recreational marijuana is the one that says this is a naturally occurring substance. Therefore, how can it be uh, immoral to use this? God put it here on earth for a purpose. He obviously intends us to use it. So how can you say that it is immoral to use this? And it seems that that's, there, there's a, a rather simple answer that, that sure, this is a naturally occurring thing, but just because God put something on earth as a naturally occurring substance that doesn't, that he, he's going to have Arsenic is a naturally uses occurring sure. substance. Right? So is there a better... And uh, uranium-238 is a naturally occurring substance. There are a lot of things that naturally... Uh, polonium, right? I mean, they're, they're all naturally occurring. But that argument never seems to satisfy them. Is there, <coughs> is there a better one to because be used? They have, they have a uh, agenda and they just don't like that. Okay. So, I mean, you're, you're saying, well, you know, obviously there are things that are very deadly that are natural here on Earth, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And it's it's a good argument. If they don't accept it, you can't help that. Um, you're just saying that just because some, that something is being is placed here by God doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't represent danger and that it's not right to, mm-hmm. to use it. Okay. It can be very deadly. Um, um, now, can cyanide be used for some good purpose? I'm sure they have some good reason. Uh, and uh, I mean, even the process of gilding a chalice, you know, I think, um, I, I think the chemical arsenic even has a, a role to play in that, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to remember the chemical, chemical process of the bath they use to, you know, use the electrical current to make the gold come out of the bath and adhere mm-hmm. to the chalice. Um, I used to be very familiar with all this stuff, but of course my brain has atrophy. And it's not because of marijuana, but um, uh, it is doing other <laughs> things beyond my control, I believe. Um, but uh, there are natural good uses for these things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anybody would say, well, since marijuana is a naturally occurring substance, it is perfectly fine for me to ingest it. It's perfectly fine for me to feed it to my father and mother mm-hmm. and inherit the property a little bit sooner. Um, no, it's not. Okay. Anything can be abused. Anything can be abused. And when it does damage, um, it is being abused. Okay. You know, um, I don't know if I should tell the story or not, um, but um, but I, I don't see any harm in it myself. Okay, um, I was I was teaching. Okay, and was in absentia. I was away, here. and I I got a, a call uh, the day before I was to return here from teaching from one of the sisters. Mm -hmm. And she said, Father, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, uh, it it seems that someone put incense, put marijuana in the incense. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is outrageous. I said, are you sure? Oh, yes. I thought, okay, well. um, uh, She said she asked one of the other sisters, and they had had this distinct distinct odor, very recognizable odor. So I thought, well, this is terrible. I said, tomorrow it'd be important to contact the local detective and just explain what happened if you're sure about this and have them check, check it out. So I was flying back into town the next day. I got into town the next day and I, I mentioned to Father Greenwell that I had heard this about this, and he was the one who had the holy hour the night before. And I asked him if he detected something unusual about the incense that he was using, and he started laughing. And I said, well, I think we're getting to the bottom of this. (laughs) Uh, He said, well, before the holy hour, he had a cup of tea. And he thought the fragrance of the mint tea was so pleasant. He thought he'd put a pinch of it in the incense, too. So at that point, I mentioned, well, you know, Catholics burn incense before the altar, but and the Buddhists burn tea leaves, perhaps. You know, but we are not in the habit of burning tea leaves. But anyway, um, 
but uh, Father Greenwell likes you know the fragrance of the incense, as you know. He's, and so he thought this would be interesting to try, so he did. Well, evidently, the, the mixture of these fragrances uh, produced something that was very, very similar to the smell of marijuana. And um, so much so that, you know, there were a couple of sisters there who, who were convinced that, you know, it, 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 they remembered, this is the smell of marijuana. So that very evening, I mentioned to the sisters involved, who are wonderful, wonderful religious, you know, both of them just wonderful um, um, religious, you know, down to uh, the, the nth degree and so on. I, I was happy to announce to them that this was not marijuana. No one but marijuana in the incense. Uh, I could tell they were horrified at the thought, as I was, that someone would do such a thing. Uh, I said, no, Father Greenwell mentioned that, you know, he, he dropped uh, some, uh, some uh, from the tea bags he was using in the incense. And the sisters were great, greatly relieved. And then I asked the question, what is, which has probably been going through the minds of people who have been hearing this, uh, how did they know what marijuana smelled like? I, I asked Sister, uh, how, did you, how did you even recognize that smell? I wouldn't recognize it. I couldn't even smell it because my nose is has been uh, out of out of order for well since I was born right and she's and and both the sisters uh, said the same thing at the same time word for word we went to college wow. and that was their answer we went to college and that's actually why I'm mentioning this right now that it seems to me from their answer that it was just endemic in college I guess They'd smell it coming down the hallways, coming out of the rest, wherever, you know, that this was uh, kind of SOP in college, that you'd have the, the smell of marijuana hanging in the air. Um, you went to college, guys, and I mean, do you know what marijuana smells I like? I do. From your college days. From that, yeah. You heard it being used. So that's what I, what I, uh, was really getting at, I guess you have around the colleges and universities this kind of, if not visible cloud of marijuana smoke, I guess you have the lingering smell of marijuana Absolutely. down the corridors and maybe even in the classroom. Absolutely. And I think this is like a poison that has gotten into the system. Uh, I think it's doing some very serious damage to the whole of society, which might be difficult to measure. But it's very reason, reason. It's very real, and I think it's toxic, uh, and it's producing effects down the road that go far beyond the um, potent potency of the marijuana itself. Mm -hmm. So I think it is a plague. It's like a modern plague. Uh, I think our enemies are encouraging this in our society to try to bring us down mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mentally, morally, uh, in terms of self-control, we're allowing these things to control us. And we don't even realize it. But when you have such good, innocent people as these sisters 
who were subjected to this in their college days. And I think about our students graduating and going off to college and thinking, where are we sending them <laughs> into this cloud of marijuana? And thinking, oh, uh, they've got to be very strong to reject this. In any case, uh, that's my one point, a caveat generally on marijuana. But I also must in, uh, also issue a caveat on putting mint tea leaves in your incense, okay? Uh, don't do that. You might be scandalizing the, the entire church <laughs> if, it really, uh, if it really has that smell. That's... We don't want to give that impression. So anyway, Tom, I'll close with that. Uh, and I hope I haven't scandalized you by telling this story. Sure, no, no, no. Um, Father, if you don't mind, I would, I would like to make, make one, one, final, one final point here and ask one final question. Um, you mentioned the, how this, um, this endemic of marijuana usage on college campuses and all that, and that leads nicely into this question of, of the, the view that government and the state should, should hold on, on the usage of marijuana. It seems that for whatever reason there's a really strong correlation between users of the drug and the libertarian mindset that says government should be hands-off, they should let us decide for ourselves, government should not have any say in the matter. What should be the government's proper take on this matter? Well, the government has an obligation to protect the population against real dangers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, it is a fact that where the legal constraints have been removed, the use of marijuana spreads and spreads and spreads. Sure. Uh, to the point now in Colorado, I mean, they've got the dog treats. The children are ingesting it from brownies and treats and cookies that are being made. Right. And it's just spreading like a, like a plague right now. And uh, they, they find that where there, where there are legal constraints, there are law-abiding people who simply won't use it for that reason. And they take it seriously and say, okay, I'm not going to do that either because uh, I respect the law or because they figure uh, there will be penalties if they get into it and they say there are better ways to you know, deal with situations than do something illegal that might get me in trouble with the law. And there's a certain shame factor from it to an embarrassment from normally with people. Uh, at least there used to be for people who were law-abiding citizens who cared about law. Um, but you create a kind of a lawless population. And what is that? That's inducing anarchy. What have we got? Look at those who are planning on doing every dirty trick they can to disrupt the, the inauguration, you know? I mean, all the rotten uh, tactics they can think of. They're, 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 they're no holds barred here. Um, completely lawless, lawless anarchists, and so on. Um, we've cultivated that way of thinking in the leftists. The leftists are the ones who really uh, tend toward um, anarchy, even as a means of ultimately gaining tyranny. Because there's nothing that leads to tyranny so much as anarchy. Right? And that is why in any population, the tyrant, the tyrant always wants to create anarchy as a step toward gaining that ironclad control over every man, woman, and child alive. And so the leftists, um, who really extol tyranny, 
uh, find anarchy as a necessary tool to use. And this is what they're creating in our society right now. And I, I believe that the, um, the assault on the anti-marijuana laws is a, is a step they're using to try to convince people that um, we, we must be free to decide these things for ourselves. And uh, the libertarians, unfortunately, I think are playing right into that, right into that. Um, by saying, yes, get government out of control of our lives, whether it be in the, in the den with marijuana or in the, in the, in the bedroom with abortion. And uh, don't let government tell you that you can't do this. Well, you know, if you read sacred scripture, St. Paul's words in, uh, in his epistle, he talks about the civil authority having an authority from God to uphold what is right and uh, to suppress what is wrong, right? to criminalize what is evil and to punish what is wrong and to reward what is, what is right and good. And uh, the, the primary role of government is to secure justice. It's not primary role is not charity. That is the role of the church, right? But to secure justice. And this has to do with, uh, among other things, uh, the, the, the well-being, the temporal well-being of the population. If the government sees a threat here to the population, it has an obligation to act on it and to do whatever it can reasonably to, uh, to discourage it by law. Mm -hmm. um, those who would uh, uh, say that the government has no business making laws or enforcing laws about what you and I can do from day to day uh, are basically favoring anarchy. Means, it means ultimately that they are, uh, they are favoring what would become tyranny. Mm -hmm. um, in the schoolyard where you have everyone doing whatever he pleases, ultimately uh, the, the most ruthless the most vicious, the most cruel, is going to find the way to rise to the top and subjugate everybody else to his will. Because you don't have the rule of law there. Um, this is a great danger. I, I actually do think the promotion of marijuana use is part of the big picture and tending in that direction. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a scary thought that we can see that exact mm. thing playing out right now in our own country. But mm. and, and by the way, if I may just sure. add a footnote here, Tom, I know people who are suffering with serious illnesses. Mm -hmm. And um, they believe, with some justification, that medical marijuana would help them mm -hmm. personally, would alleviate the symptoms of their very serious illnesses that they're enduring. And I am very sympathetic and empathetic with them. And I do believe if this is something that could help them, then there is a proportionate reason for this, a proportionate good. But we have to be careful, though, in securing their good, their personal good. We don't do something that would um, wreak havoc on the rest of society. Um, so, um, if it is true that medical marijuana can really be helpful to people who are really suffering serious uh, symptoms or serious consequences of grave illness, 
then I think, yes, that's something that needs to be investigated and something that um, would be even the role of government mm -hmm. to secure for them. Mm -hmm. uh, but that government would have to also be careful to secure the welfare of society at large, to protect it against the abuse, always, mm -hmm. against that abuse. So, where that comes into play, that's a medical question, and um, a societal question as well. You know, I can't determine where that is. Mm -hmm. But in principle, it would not be forbidden by the moral uh, moral principles of the church governing these matters. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like a very logical argument, Father. <coughs> I think that that's a good stopping point right there to go ahead and end the program. But I would I'd like, like, like to thank you for being here tonight. That's a, uh, that's a fascinating topic, for sure. I, I have a suggestion, though. Okay, sure. Uh, we do know medical doctors mm -hmm. who really do have a certain expertise on, the, on these very questions. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be a very good idea to sit down at the table with them here. I think so too. And get the medical side of the latest research, right? Sure. And the biochemical workings mm -hmm. of, uh, of this. And uh, I propose that we follow up with this sure. because I, I, I would assume that there are people out there who have a, an interest in this because uh, for their own sakes, for the sake of someone they know and love who is using or tempted Mm -hmm. to use because of their social connections or even gravely ill and um, facing uh, a very painful illness. It affects a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe we ought to follow up. Yeah. I would ask our listeners who want to hear the medical side of this and who would like to sit down with a traditional Catholic doctor, as it were, at this table and get some serious questions. I'd like them to get back to us and let us know, yes, I want that follow-up, and here's what I'd like you to ask. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I'd invite people to, uh, to pose those questions. Right. And that correspondence can be sent to our email address, um, and we'll certainly follow up and see what, what we can do with that. But again, Father, I'd like to, to thank you for being here tonight and helping to clear, clear this matter up oh, for us. Certainly very welcome. Thank you, Tim. No problem, Father. I'd also like to thank all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.